All right. This is Luke 22, 14 through 23. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this is the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who has, who was going to do this. This is the word of God. Thanks. Good morning. Well, happy Palm Sunday. Glad to see everybody here. Um, we have been in the book of Luke now for uh, a number of weeks, looking at what was Jesus experiencing as he was getting into uh, preparing these last few weeks before he entered into Jerusalem. Well, now, this morning, he enters in. And so... He comes into the gates and we have that, uh, famous scripture in Luke 19, the triumphal entry. I'm gonna start, I'm gonna read a couple of verses, uh, Luke 19, 28. When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Um, no, I'm gonna skip down to, uh, Verse 33, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. Why do I read that? Because up until this point, for much of Jesus' ministry, a very different, he had a very different attitude when people acclaimed him for this role, this, uh, who he was. What did he say? He said, don't tell anybody. Often, he would say when someone had identified him as the Messiah, as the King, as some as with divinity, he would say, "God showed you this, but don't tell anybody." Now, why does he do this? Well, I mean, it doesn't say exactly, but I think fame can often get in the way of what God wants to do. And I think for Jesus, he was thinking, you know, if I'm if I've got all these people hovering around me, or all sorts of things are stirring up, uh, you know. So he said, "Be quiet." Sometimes people did it. Sometimes they didn't. Here, however, and in this week, 
he opens up the door not only to people declaring who he is, but also he begins to step into roles that he only did on a very limited basis before. We see early in the Gospel of John where he forgives sins, and the the Pharisees are very offended as he forgives a man his sins, says, who can do this but God alone? And Jesus doesn't exactly answer them. He leaves the question in the air. Here, he's beginning, what we're going to see, I want to see three things this morning. As Jesus walks into Jerusalem, three roles he takes, and he, he acquires for himself that he always had, but he steps into. The first one is the rightful authority. Or we could say like the owner of the house. We're going to see that role that he steps into. The second we're going to look at is the attentive lookout. The attentive lookout or, or the watchman. And the third role is the host at the table. The Tory, what Tory read, the story that Tory just read about the host, uh, the, the, the Passover meals. So we're going to look at Jesus as the host of the table. So we're going to look at it as the rightful authority, as the attentive lookout, and as the host at the table. Rightful authority. Let's, uh, I want to look at, there's, there's many, many vignettes going on during this week. But I want to look, if you've got your Bible, Luke 19.45. Luke has a very brief two verses about a story that all the Gospels talk about. It's one of the most dramatic stories humanizes Jesus in certain ways that almost no other story does. But Luke gives it a brief mention. It says, Luke 19.45, He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Many of us know the story. There's in the temple going on, they're making sacrifices. This is Passover. You're required as a Jew to make sacrifices. You bought your animal for sacrifice. The money that they had would not have been the money that was used at the temple. Temple money would have been Jewish money, not Roman money. So you would have had to go through the exchange, you know, like getting back in the country from a trip out of the country. So you would have had to buy your animal, exchange your money. And there were there was a lot of coming and going. Several hundred thousand people likely would have been extra in Jerusalem at this time. And the old city is not that big. So it would have been quite uh, an affair, quite an ordeal going on. Jesus walks in. And I don't know what you think about this story. If you have are familiar with all of the Bible, you know that in John and in Matthew, where this story is really uh, outlined, he in John says he gets a whip. And he is, he overturns the tables and he's upset, right? Not out of control upset, but he's clearly got some emotion packed in here. As a kid, I kind of like this because it made Jesus more relatable to me. Like, yeah, like show some emotion, Jesus, not just, you know, like this. You're like really into it. I'm like, what is it? that should strike us, because sometimes we watch this from a distance, can seem like, well, yeah, Jesus is going in to set things right. Well, let me just really, really quickly, where is the temple now? There is no 
temple anymore where sacrifices are made. Where, biblically, for the Christian is the temple? Here, right? First Corinthians, other verses say, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let me just ask you a quick question. Does he have the right to rearrange your furniture? The owner of the house has the right to rearrange the furniture. That would be my wife. I never rearrange the furniture in my house because I have no sense of space. But she does. And it's a glorious thing. Well, we get settled in the way we do business. I don't mean that in the, 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 the money sense. Just saying what I think offended Jesus was it was business as usual in the temple and the commerce that was going on there had supplanted what was supposed to happen in the temple, which is this was where the presence of God was supposed to dwell within the land and in the people. It was because the Holy Spirit was not yet given. It wasn't that every person was the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is really uh, agitated that it's business as usual happening. When the mechanics of life begin to supersede what God wants to do. Now let me just personalize this a little bit. I don't know how he will overturn the furniture in your temple. Don't know what he's going to do, but typically it's not that fun. And often when Jesus comes in and gets our attention... It turns out to be things that we have trusted in and are very comfortable with. And he will begin to tip those things over. And things you have trusted in, things you have thought were secure and stable, he will come in and he will take rightful authority if you are his. So when I look at the story, and again, briefly outlined in Luke, but we know this story When your temple is not reflecting the priorities of God, don't be surprised if the master of the house shows up and begins to rearrange the furniture. I want to turn to a a small story in Luke 21 that I often give very little attention to in the things Jesus said and did here in these last days of his life, but I think it's quite interesting. This is Jesus as the attentive watchman. Verse 34 of Luke chapter 21. Watch yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus is warning them. Now, we know an event happens very quickly in the the garden where his disciples fall asleep. He asked them to watch and pray, and they can't do that. There's no indication they were drunk, dissipated, out partying all night. There's no indication of that. But to me, it's a very interesting warning that he's giving. And he says, this is for all the earth. It's not simply to his disciples, though it did relate to them. 
But he's telling people this. You can amuse yourself to death. You can lose sight of what's happening right in front of you. And he went after, you know, dissipation and drunkenness, but we can amuse ourselves with a lot of things, not just alcohol. We can blur and blind ourselves to what's really going on. I have a a little four-inch by six-inch or three-inch by six-inch device in my pocket that can just make me forget what day it is. I can go on with so many things in my world, and he says, look, if you'll fall asleep, metaphorically speaking, you will just not realize when the day is on you. Guys, there are moments, there are hinge moments in our life when the Lord, while He's always present, there are times when things happen that are critical. And if we sleep through them, and we are unaware of what's happening around us, we've lost a tremendous opportunity. For them, it was going to be Jesus in His last hours and the invitation to stay with Him. And and there, the, the Son of God on the cross and some there present and engaged and others not. And But for you and for me, opportunities in our families or in our jobs or in our world. And the Bible says, stay alert, stay awake. Don't get, uh, I, I know it's hard because our lives, uh, we so desire to sometimes numb ourselves I know I do from the the things that are happening. And the Bible says His presence will be so strong with you as you are alert and receive it. Let's read once again. I, I, um, I think about His warning. He sees what we cannot see. The Lord sees what we, you and I cannot see. My wife, if she were here, she's in Texas this morning with Benjamin visiting some friends. But if she were here, she would tell you, I am a professional backseat driver from the front seat. I'm a horrible person to drive with. I'm just telling you. If you've ever driven with me, I like to drive because I'm forever nervous that if you were driving, you don't see that per- that car that's turning out in front of us and 300 yards ahead of us. I'm really nervous. I may or may not say anything, but you'll, you can see the, the death grip on the side door because I'm not sure that my wife sees all the things that are happening. Well, the truth of the matter is, I don't see any better than she does from the the front seat, right? Next door, we pretty much have the same view. It's only a matter of trust, right? However, if I were on a ship, and we sent somebody up an old-timey ship, didn't have radar and things like that, we sent someone up to the crow's nest, you know what a crow's nest is, right? 50 feet up, you're sitting in a basket, the worst place in the world for someone with motion sickness, you... You're sitting up there. Well, from 50 feet up, they see what the captain on the deck, what the person who is in charge cannot see. They see over the horizon miles and miles in advance of danger and of shoreline and of problems. And you have one in heaven. You have an advocate who is warning you. This is the reality of life. He is in the eternal crow's nest and sees from beginning to end. And He has given us in His Word eternal truth. And it is, our, it is at our peril that we ignore it. Listen to the Word of the Lord. 
once again from this scripture in uh, Luke 21. Stay awake at all times. Pray that you may have strength. Now, we, you and I, are going to face all kinds of things in our life, and we won't escape from every bad thing. But if you become aware of the presence of an eternal God with you, you will escape the, the terrible consequences of going at it alone. So he is that advocate, that person who can warn us in advance. He can be a lookout for us. And finally, he is the host at the table. Luke 22 that we read this morning, Luke 22, 14. When you go over to someone's house for dinner, you know they determine kind of the atmosphere of the meal, don't they? Whether you're just, you know, barbecue or hot dogs on the grill or whether it's a formal, you know, forks and knives on each side that you don't know what to do with. The host determines the the meal, what the... uh, how it's going to be laid out, what you're going to eat. And that host has the right, when they invite you in, to control the atmosphere in that house. Jesus is the most gracious host, and he says in verse 15, this is Luke 22, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The literal in that is, I desire with great desire. He uses epithemio twice. It's as passionate as it gets. That's the way in Bible times when you were writing that you wanted to emphasize something, you said it twice, you know, verily, verily kind of stuff. He says, I desire with such great desire to have you come into my house, basically, to have you sit at my table and to eat with me. There's just not a better invitation. There's not a warmer invitation into someone's home than that. And then he says in this Passover meal that they would have eaten every year as Jews, as practicing Jews, that meal would have been a part of their experience. And Jesus, the host at the table, now begins to interpret Passover. This will be the last Passover meal they will, they will ever eat under the terms of the Old Covenant. Here's what you would say the host of the table says in the Passover meal as he takes this bread, not this bread, but takes a loaf of bread, a piece of bread, and he would say this, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Everyone who is needy, come and eat the Passover meal. Every year, Jews would have celebrated release from slavery, the miracles in the desert, the sacrifice of the lamb. And Jesus, the host of the dinner, now sets the tone and reinterprets it and says, this is my body which is broken for you would have been shocking to a Jew who for his whole life had practiced this 
and had seen the, the lamb that you would have eaten that would have commemorated the sacrifice of exiting Egypt in the night of Passover. The bread, they have bitter herbs to remember the slavery. Jesus takes these symbols and he reinterprets them. When I was growing up in the Episcopal Church, they call that large piece of bread the host. And if you raised Catholic or whatever, they talk about it as the host. Like, well, like that. It's a different kind of host than we use. The word hostess in Latin means enemy. It's where we get hostile from. Hostess, sometimes people will interpret it victim, but the literal meaning is enemy. The hostess is the enemy. And in this amazing sacrifice, Jesus, the only true friend of God, the only true one with God, becomes the enemy of God, who we are, by the way. We and you and I in our natural state are God's enemy. We have fallen short. We 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 that's what the unredeemed heart is. And he says, I become the enemy, so you become his friend. The joy of Jesus is not that we have to do anything to come to this table. You are invited to this table with absolute freedom. But when you come, know that He is going to take His rightful place as the owner of the house and the authority in the temple with every right to overturn your tables. And that may mean taking away from you things that you don't want to give Him, that you are too precious to you. He and He alone is the rightful owner and authority. And until we understand that, and we claim to share authority or some, in some way with Him, we won't understand the rightful roles that He takes. We want to be alert and stay awake of what's going to be around us because His presence will guide us through the hard and difficult times that lay ahead. And for many of us, difficult times are laying ahead. I don't know what they are for you or for me, but I know I'm glad to have one who sees in advance and says He will be there. This morning, if you're a believer and would like to share in the Eucharist this morning, we're going to live out what we've just read. I'm going to read it once again, and I want us to think together as the final Passover under the Old Covenant is celebrated and a new covenant is inaugurated because no more lambs have to be slain. The blood of of animals does not take away your sin. Neither does anything else you do. No good work. Not coming to church, not being a good person, nothing will take away your sin except accepting the sacrifice that this host has provided. He himself has offered himself, the host offered his own life for us. When the hour had come, Jesus reclined at table and his apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I won't eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup 
And when he had given thanks, he said, take this. Divide this drink among yourselves. I tell you from now on, I won't drink of the fruit of this vine again until the kingdom of God comes. When he'd given thanks, he broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, likewise, he took the cup. It's poured out for you in the new covenant in my blood. This bread, this wine represents to us the very life of Jesus. He's present with us. As we have confessed our sins, as we have acknowledged our need for Him, let us take these elements in full assurance of faith that when Jesus fills you, He does it completely and gives you the strength you need to walk with Him. These are the gifts of God. They are for the people of God. Take them in thanksgiving that Christ died for you. Amen.